Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Rowe. And I'm Nike Fajors. And welcome to The Invisible Men, where we make the achievements of incredible men invisible no more. Hello, my name is Ian Rowe. I am a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Hello, uh, my, my name is Nike Fajors. I'm part of the leadership network at AEI. And we are very excited to be joining you. This is our inaugural episode of a new uh, podcast series that we are entitling The Invisible Men. And we're really excited to uh, kick off this series because we think it's a very timely uh, set of conversations that Nike, you and I are gonna be having on each of these individual episodes. And we wanted to have the first one, even though we will have guests for each of our episodes, we thought this first one should just be between Nike and I. Uh, Nike and I have been colleagues and friends for nearly 30 years, and it might make sense to just share where all of this started uh, almost 30 years ago when we were both at Harvard Business School. So Nike, just share with us a little bit of your background and how we connected way back when. Absolutely, thank you, Ian. Yeah, way back when, 30 years, my goodness. Well, you know, I, way back when, I'll keep it short, but you know, I grew up in a, a, a suburban town called Arlington, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston, and was, you know, one of the few uh, people of African ancestry. Many of us have lived that experience when you're one of the few. And I was, you know, truly what I call the self-hating Negro, I was really unhappy with myself. And you know, through a lot of family tragedy, actually, cancer and a lost home and a lost business, I was sort of, I began to transform and take life very seriously. And so, you know, fast forward from 1985, I was a B minus student in high school. And uh, by 1991, I was, I was walking into uh, Harvard Business School uh, in, their, in their MBA program, uh, a very different individual. And I, you know, I, I think we probably met day one, day two uh, of, you know, some of the onboarding and orientation things that happened at school. It's, it's funny because, not to steal thunder from you, but of course you being from Jamaica originally, and then another one of my dearest friends was from Dominica, and yet another one was from Trinidad. And though I certainly didn't make an effort to, uh, to find people outside of the US, I think there, there was actually a, a certain energy that all of us shared. Mm -hmm. And it actually feeds back into this program where, where you know, victimhood and and uh, the state or a feeling of invisibleness is something that we don't suffer well. And um, I think that that's one of the ways that I think we were brought together. Yeah, you know, and, and exactly when we were at Harvard Business School, this was so we were class of 1993 and we met in 1991. And while we were at HBS, and it was an incredible experience, but something that happened while we were in school uh, was the Rodney King incident. If folks remember that from the early 90s when Rodney King was uh, assaulted by police officers. And most folks remember that uh, after that assault, the police officers were arrested in the trial, the police officers were let go. They were found not guilty. And that set off a range of riots in Los Angeles and a lot of discussion about black men the fact that black men are an endangered species, they're being shot at, uh, and that they're essentially doomed to failure, doomed to victimhood, doomed to some 
systemic racism that was ending opportunity primarily for black men. And, and I remember indelibly a feeling so frustrated and so distant from seeing all of these riots on television, CNN had just really, you know, was really coming into its own and it was 24 seven, this message of black failure under this heavy weight of systemic discrimination. And here I was at Harvard Business School, here as I'm seeing you, I had colleagues at Harvard Law School, Harvard Medical School, Harvard Education School, you know, all black men. And this feeling of invisibleness really hit me then. And I, I was trying to figure out how to parlay that energy because it felt like our story needed to be told at least as some kind of counterbalance to this dominating narrative. And then you had an idea. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, um, the idea was just simply to spotlight and recognize the incredible talent. And, and as you often describe it, the black excellence that existed right around us. And so we, you know, I, I created a survey, a very simple survey uh, of questions, political questions, questions about economic development, questions about community development. And, I, and we literally dropped that in the mailboxes of every African uh, student that operated within one of the, the Harvard graduate schools, business, education, medicine, and law. And from that, pulled together a collection of, of truly diverse opinions and ideas uh, that took the form of the Invisible Men. We then relied heavily on your uh, literary expertise to craft a script with which you know the entire uh, project was built around and then we had the good fortune of securing uh, randy kennedy uh professor at harvard law school as, a, as our moderator and we were we were off to the races yeah it was it was really interesting i was so inspired when you uh you know when we started talking about this and we just just tried to brainstorm how are we going to showcase these different amazing uh, men at the various harvard graduate schools because our intent wasn't to brag about ourselves. The idea actually was how could we impart the lessons that we had learned facing discrimination? You know, we weren't, we weren't shirking away from the realities, but how could we share what we had learned and what we have done even in the face of adversity? So we came up with this idea to create Daryl. And Daryl was this imaginary 16-year-old black kid who lives in forgotten USA, this imaginary urban city. And Daryl is the child of a single mom. He's got some negative influences around him. He yearns to do better, but he needs advice. And we tried to uh, create a character who might resonate with lots of kids, not just black kids, but lots of kids all around the country that might find themselves in a challenging situation. And the invisible men, essentially the different uh, men of Harvard graduate schools, sat in a circle with Professor Kennedy to provide advice to Daryl. And that was the invisible men video uh, film 30 years ago. And Nike, just talk a little bit about uh, what distribution um, that got. We, had, we, had, we got, I know we got support from Harvard University uh, to help uh, finance it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, and certainly we have to give the, the president of Harvard University at that time uh, a ton of respect because he wrote a check 
to help us actually craft this. We partnered with the local PBS station, uh, used their studio to record it. Uh, you know, certainly Motown Records stepped up and we, we probably had one of the best soundtracks uh, of, of a documentary in some time, thanks to another classmate of ours who was actually working for the president, as you know, working for one of the, pres the president of Motown at the time. And then, yes, we got distribution. United Way actually became very involved and helped with distribution. So we were on the, a number of local cable channels around the U.S. We were on the Higher Learning Channel uh, for some time. We were shown across many college campuses. Um, so, and then we, we sold the, the uh, VHS tape. <laughs> I'm not sure that <laughs> old means school, it's like old school. Audience, but uh, we sold a tape of the, of the program as well, and that was distributed. I did a few uh, uh, sort of screenings and speaking events across the years. I, did, I remember I did a few things in Ohio. Uh, so it, it got, I think it got some good attention and, and created some good dialogue. Yeah. So that was back in 1992 and 1993, and, it, and, and you and I have been friends and colleagues for all this time, and we've matured, uh, we've growth grown our families, but we've always stayed connected. Um, and then earlier this year, uh, in the midst of all of what is now going on in the world, the pandemic, the racial strife, the events with George Floyd, once again, even though there's been an incredible amount of progress, an incredible, uh, we've had a black president, uh, you know, uh, elected twice, record numbers of people of color in Congress, uh, entrepreneurship, even though there's been tremendous progress, ironically, we find ourselves in a moment in which the dominant narrative feels very similar to what existed 30 years ago that if you're a black man, when you just step out on the street, your life is in danger, that you're gonna get shot by walking, shot by driving, shot by sleeping, and creating this, this perception that the life of a black person, you're just living under the thumb of some white supremacist regime that we are helpless to overcome. And so it just seemed once again what about the millions and millions and millions of black people that have embraced the ideas of family and faith and free enterprise, hard work, entrepreneurship, who are faced, who face discrimination, right? This, we're, this, this is in no way saying that racial discrimination does not exist. I think it's certainly gotten better than it was, certainly before, better than a time when racism was actually enshrined into law. But what about the stories of these amazing men and women who are succeeding? And so you and I connected and said, do we need to create a new updated version of The Invisible Men? That's absolutely right. I mean, I, I get the sense that, you know, a lot of young people today feel like times have never been worse. You know, if I just think back to 1993 when we, we've graduated, things have improved significantly since then. I mean, if you just look at what African-Americans have accomplished in finance and in entertainment and, and, and in education, you know, the, the number of billionaires that exist today, many of whom were born and raised in the ghetto, in the worst parts of the U.S. I mean, it's, 
it's incredible what's been accomplished just since we got out of Harvard Business School. I mean, I, I look at some of our peers, including you and others, and what you've achieved in many instances was not possible in 1993 because there were barriers, there were glass ceilings. And so it, 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 um, it really is unfair that, uh, you know, that Daryl, the Daryls of today are, are led in many respects to believe it is a hopeless situation. And that it is, it is not. And that is why we have launched The Invisible Men. Because each episode, we are going to feature incredible men. And sometimes we'll uh, focus on women as well. Uh, but there is a particular energy focused on black men as this endangered species. And we think it's very important that young people of all races see that they're black people that are excelling that are shining. And by the way, they're excelling in more than just being a basketball player or an entertainer. You know, we have owners and entrepreneurs and fathers and leaders, millions, millions. And right now the dominant narrative goes against that reality. I just wrote uh, a, an analysis of the racial wealth gap because it is certainly true that the average black family in the United States, based on 2016 data, had about one-tenth the net worth of the average white family. Wow. That is a real problem. That is a real problem. And for some, they use that as proof of the legacy of oppression in the United States. And, and because that gap is so wide, the only solution is if there are interventions like reparations, so we need a trillion dollars of cash payments that go to black American descendants of slaves, because, quote, there's no individual action that black people can take to close this gap. And so I wrote an analysis about this to say, wow, that's, that's very debilitating language. I mean, I, I've run public charter schools for the last decade in the heart of the South Bronx and the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I know how important it is that young people have a message of hope and agency, their ability to control their destiny, even in the face of structural barriers. And as it turned out, when you look at the analysis, that same analysis that shows that the average black family has one-tenth the worth of a white family, the average um, white family. It turns out when you include family structure, that relationship completely reverses. The net, the median, the, the worth, the net worth of the median black family married to parent household is actually almost twice what it is of the average white single parent household. So then, so what's interesting about that is like, ah, so maybe there are factors beyond just race that can determine your outcomes. And if you really dive into the data, you see that when people of all races, but especially in the black community, if you finish your education, full-time job of any kind, marriage, then children, if you make decisions in that order, 91% of the people in the black community who follow that path avoid poverty, and the vast majority are in the middle class or beyond. These are very important lessons we want to share through the real-life stories of the invisible men. That is what we're seeking to achieve. 
Well, you know, what you said is just so powerful and, and it frankly reminds me of, it, it relates to this, this COVID pandemic because I, I feel like everything is about the dread, the fear, the horror, the death. And I hear nothing about what can we do in terms of vitamins and health and exercise and, and mental well-being to also be, uh, to raise our immune systems to avoid COVID. But it, it's all just about, well, there's nothing you can do, stay in your house and put a mask on. But, you know, over the last couple of days, I saw a report that people with vitamin D deficiencies are 60% more likely to get COVID. But that's not the leading narrative. And so, you know, as you talk about the statistics as part of your research, that's not the leading narrative that getting married and then having children and, and this sequence, the difference between doing it in a very different way is night and day, literally. Absolutely. And I think we've also, you know, on this podcast, I think we're going to have to be willing to have some tough conversations too. You know, even though no one deserves to die at the hands of, uh, you know, abusive police, every act of police brutality needs to be prosecuted to, full, to the full extent of the law. But we're going to have to have the courage to talk about what were some of the life choices that create the situations where more and more of our men are interacting with the police system, right? That's right. These are very, very important things that we've got to cover. And, and I look forward to having, you know, the moral courage to talk with you and our guests about how we are our better selves. This is a free speech zone and anyone that doesn't like it should not listen. All right. Well, this is very exciting. Nike, I can't wait to get into this. Please look forward to our future podcasts. We're going to have some great uh, interviews, oftentimes from people you may not have ever heard of, but deserve to be as famous as the, the list of icons that are out there, but are doing amazing things for their families, their businesses, their kids, and deserve to be known. They're the invisible men that from here, here, from here going forward, we're going to create a lot of visibility. Thank you. Love it, man. Look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Thank you for watching another episode of The Invisible Men. You can find other episodes at the AEI podcast channel on YouTube or the website invisible.men or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.